Learning about the research behind machine learning and artificial intelligence is always fun, but it's always learning about the applications. This week's episode on the Tech Emergence podcast, uh, we're joined by Andrew Filev, who's the CEO and founder of Rike, uh, which is a project management software uh, with 400 plus employees at the time of this recording, uh, with their headquarters here in Mountain View, uh, where I am. And we speak with Andrew about uh, where they're applying machine learning and artificial intelligence in their fast-growing data-driven company. Andrew shares some very interesting insights with why marketing might be the most sort of ripe for disruption area uh, by general machine learning technologies, at least for most companies, uh, and also around how most companies can prepare themselves to take advantage of machine learning in whatever its application is in their particular industry. Some really nice sort of pitfalls he draws out, as well as sort of what they're doing at his own firm. I thought a very fun and interesting interview I hope you guys enjoy this one as well. Without further ado, Andrew Filev with Reich. So, Andrew, uh, I wanted to speak first about sort of where artificial intelligence is playing a role in your company. Obviously, you folks are growing pretty quickly now at the time of this recording, you know, 400-something folks, uh, you know, here in Mountain View where I'm at. Um, where is machine learning sort of uh, have a, a boots-on-the-ground presence in your business today? Hello. Uh, Correction, we're actually a global company, so our headquarters is in Mountain View, but we also have offices in San Diego and Dublin and uh, Europe and some other continents as well. So, uh, and, and, and you're absolutely right, growing rapidly. So within the company, we have two frontiers where we're applying machine learning and, and AI technologies. One is our internal operations. We're constantly uh, thinking about how we can operate more efficiently, more efficiently, how we could get better return on our investments, how we could outcompete other players. And their second frontier is the product itself, the value that we deliver to our customers. We want our, we want our product to be smarter um, every release that we put out there. And so there is a big roadmap um, around that. And obviously when you start thinking about how do you make computer software smarter, uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence plays bigger and bigger part in that. And and uh, you you'd mentioned off mic that sort of um, the marketing world is where a lot of sort of the applications are with respect to you know I've used as you had mentioned kind of getting an edge on competitors um, and that sort of marketing in general is a place where maybe machine learning uh, you know has a nice fit right now. How is lead scoring sort of tie into that? With you folks today and, and sort of what else is going on in marketing with Reich? Uh, absolutely. So if you think about general, generally applicable uh, areas where most mostly any company can uh, take machine learning uh, technologies um, and principles and apply them to be more efficient, marketing is the first that comes to, to my mind. And uh, as you mentioned, lead scoring, in, in our case, is big part of that. Um, I know other companies might put priorities a little bit differently, um, but to give an example of our problem or opportunity is we have about 30,000 businesses um, try our product every month. And, and that's a big number. We cannot um, call all of them. Uh, so we want to be able to understand what's the most effective way for us and for our customers to deploy um, our resources. So we could call the customers that really need that conversation and we could make it effective for them and for us. And and that's an interesting uh, machine learning problem where we try to uh, get the signals from um, from our from from the customer journey within our product. We try to augment it with whatever data 
we can uh, find out there and kind of blend it together and, and, and build the score and saying, okay, this is the customer uh, that we, you need to call immediately. This is the customer uh, that you can call a little bit later. And this customer, you can just um, leave them on their own and they, they should be able to evaluate the product and you know make their decision by, by themselves. So that's um, a very interesting problem. We've started tackling it uh, years ago before there were actually any technologies out there on the market. Um, and it was kind of fun to see kind of how we build their technology inside that right now it's a whole industry where they're well-funded startups that basically sell in the same product yeah. that we, we built in-house year, <laughs> yep, yep. years ago. Interesting. Well, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's a nascent field, right? So uh, there's, there's folks out there offering it now because it's cool and possible, but in the day you guys obviously had to build it yourself and probably not terribly unlike uh, other companies. Maybe not everybody integrated machine learning. But it sounds like what maybe you've had to cobble together on your own, and obviously you have a capable tech staff there in addition to your own sort of rich experience in this space, um, it is, you know, who has who has turned into customers based on, so you've got a good amount of information, you know, 30,000 30, folks, whatever you'd said, you know, a given month. Um, uh, you've got a pretty good amount of information around sort of who ends up converting and who doesn't, uh, and then tying that to lead source, tying that to activity, and tying that to... Um, you know, functions that functionality that they're using, tying that to how many user accounts they're creating. And, and what I presume is that when you take a look at who actually comes out the other end and what the customer lifetime value is, you can then say, okay, of these people, what, what were those commonality signs? I, I guess what were those, um, what were the real signals in that noise that can let us know, hey, anybody that immediately makes seven internal accounts, um, we have to get on the phone immediately. You know, I mean, I, I, now that's a made up example, but I, I just want to make sure I'm somewhat on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. That's 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 the problem. I would not talk about exact signals because they would differ from company to company. For sure, for um, sure. Yeah. And so, so it doesn't necessarily make sense. But but that that is exactly the problem. And, and I think that's uh, for for any company at scale, uh, that's more or less obvious application. Uh, the next one um, that that we see is customer segmentation. Um, it's somewhat similar problem, but also a little bit different. So you only have scarce data about your customers. Um, and, and in a platform like ours, where we've got millions of users, it helps both customers and us to know what they want to use it for. Because if they say, say they want to use it to manage their creative services team, we could, uh, based on that, offer them specific templates or advice on how to get the most value out of product versus, let's yeah. say, it's a software team that wants to use it to build, to implement agile processes, or it's a product manager and, and vice versa. So, so being able to segment your audience um, in clusters that make sense and then be able to tailor their uh, product or, or it could be sales or something else, but basically prep... Um, tailor the experience that that customer is having with with your company based on that segment, I think it's very powerful. And, and again, it's powerful for both sides. It's powerful for the customer because um, she gets more value and gets it quicker and gets more smooth and optimized experience. And it's powerful for the company because it allows you to achieve better product market fit, better retention, better conversions, um, basically optimize all parts of your funnel. So that's the the other very big and, and interesting example, and it's um, to some degree connects to their uh, outbound marketing as well. Where 
if you can figure out the segments, uh, you can you can use it in, for for your leads who are already in your funnel. Yeah. But you can also use it to generate more leads. What are basically kind of figure out lookalike profiles and figure out the targeting uh, at large or micro targeting and go after those uh, prospects and bring more more of them into your your system. So so that's another powerful um, use case that we see in marketing today. Got it. Okay. Okay. So just to make sure I can, I can, uh, I'm, I'm drinking in your point here. Um, you can figure out, and maybe you've never directly marketed Reich to, you know, I'm just going to use a random example. Um, you know, you had said creative services firm. So, you know, maybe PR folks or graphic design folks or what have you, you've never really targeted just them. You've kind of targeted teams broadly, but as it turns out, based on the kinds of messaging and information, based on the kinds of projects that people are juggling and based on customer service, uh, and customer support information, you find out you have a lot of them and that maybe they like it and they particularly like certain features. If you have that as a profile and you can tailor the product to them, that helps those customers. But you might also say, from what I'm, I'm gathering from what you stated, you might also want to turn to the market and say, hey, can we generate some demand from that market? Because when they come here, they stick and they like the product. We've never targeted PR and creatives. Can we just create a campaign around that? Exactly. No, that's... Got it. Yeah, that's that's, that's a, a curious application as well. And clearly, again, even you know from that, determining without them overtly telling you, which would be the easy way, determining based on usership, you know, which category do they come into, you know, flinging through those signals and finding out uh, how you want to tailor the product to them, obviously also a machine learning application. You had said something off mic that I thought was worth reiterating. Um, and that was, again, uh, in, in machine learning, marketing is kind of the place where people hone in. And you, you had said it, you know, when we were during the interview as well. Um, clearly, that, that's, that's often where we have a lot of information where tracking is, al is already rather rigorous. Because even if we didn't have machine learning, we still want to know the performance of all of our campaigns. You know, even if nobody's, you know, uh, writing, uh, you know, uh, doing some wild calculus around here, we still want to have an ex Excel spreadsheet about our, our ROI on Facebook for crying out loud, you know, simple addition, subtraction stuff. Um, so there's already a lot of information, and uh, that, that's often where sort of our volume of data is pretty high. Also, it seems like that's, that's very closely tied to, to ROI, right? If you're going to take the time to kind of tinker with machine learning um, and, and build, you know, in your case for lead scoring, construct your own solutions to really get this stuff done, that's valuable hours from people that probably aren't cheap, especially here where it costs $45 to get a really bad pizza delivered to your house. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, that, that, that it, it seems to me as though part of why marketing is where you'd also point the effort in addition to the data is maybe that's where there's a tighter tie to revenue. Yeah, um, I, I would agree. Uh, and that... Um... That could be a good uh, bridge to discuss um, kind of an interesting topic of companies adopting big data and machine learning. Because yeah. I think um, it's 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 very easy to fall into one of two polarities, neither of which is good. So polarity number one, company gets excited about the technology aspect of machine learning. You know, you read a lot of cool media, you want to be on the bandwagon and you're sort of start applying technology for technology's sake. And usually that adds uh, pretty badly with better eye, like no, um, not a good fit in terms of either helping customers or helping your own business. Um, and then the other polarity would be to, you know, you don't have that technology competence, 
and so you're basically blindsided. You theoretically you have a way to optimize your business or your product, but but you you there's nobody in the company who is who's familiar with that, and so nobody sources those insights. And and I think uh, bridging the gap between the two, where on one hand you've got the competence and you've got the people who can brainstorm and say, hey, you know what, there's a very, very good opportunity here where we could experiment and see if we could um, come up with, with a good solution and, and, and have that capability and at the same time stay focused on the business and the value rather than their sort of the algorithms and the cool aspects of their, you know, the most recent um, deep learning breakthrough and things like that. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. oftentimes um, there you get a lot uh, through the Pareto rule. You know, you don't have to necessarily use the most sophisticated approach. Um, in either of the examples that I gave, oftentimes the solution, the simpler solution work better because um, there's, there's also the value in human understanding the yep. solution, especially when you talk about things like customer segmentation, if it's just a pure black box and you have no idea who those, who is represented by that segment, it's just computer yeah. miraculously uh, lumps them together. It doesn't give any insight to your um, customer success representatives or support or sales or marketing versus if computer works hand in hand with humans where, yes, you're using big data and machine learning to process a lot of data, but you come up to some solutions that are, uh, that humans can understand. Um, and then you validate them again with the data. I think that's the best approach. And that actually, you know, for, for those of the listeners who are, who have deeper machine learning background, you kind of avoid overfitting problem a little bit, because if you just, if you have, um, a limited, data and, and there's never enough and you apply their uh, technologies that are too sophisticated it might look optimal on the data sets that you have um, but it, it you might be overfitting to to the to the existing data versus if, if you can simplify and the framework becomes sort of comprehensible by by you and your colleagues uh, to some degree that's an optimization constraint that leads to more general generalizable solutions I uh... I'm glad that you brought up those two points around sort of the, the two polarities you don't want to fall into with respect to uh, how or where to apply machine learning. That was really a great sort of condensation of similar advice that I've heard from a lot of folks, particularly uh, PhDs and other experienced people who go into bigger companies and build out machine learning applications. We've been lucky enough to have a number of those folks uh, on, the, on the horn, a lot of them Bay Area people. Uh, who've, who've reiterated the same points over and over. You know, you don't want to go after the shiny objects and you have to make sure somebody understands this stuff. And, you know, the 80-20 rule, I think I've, I've heard mentioned on a number of occasions. So I'm glad you brought all that up. And with that being said, and as a final question, you've had to think through this uh, pretty vigilantly yourself, Andrew, for the last couple of years here and, and you know, maybe more. Um, right now in, in the AI space, there is no, you know, when it, when it comes to building out, you know, lead scoring functionality, uh, customer segmentation functionality, customer support response automation, uh, general machine learning platform of some kind. There's really no report out there that sort of compares the various vendors in this space. There's a lot of small, nascent companies. Sometimes it's going to involve, you know, hiring a big firm to go build something for you. Sometimes, you know, uh, you might want to use a vendor. Um, uh, these are not trivial 
uh, kind of decisions to be made because where you allocate energy and technology and what you build into your products and your company is quite a big deal. But there's it, there doesn't really seem to be any common place to get a sense for where's the ROI around here. There's no Gartner for AI. Where do execs like yourself have to go, given how new this field is, in order to do that kind of research, in order to figure out where the heck do I want to allocate company money to see return from artificial intelligence? That's that's a great question. And, and I agree with you that um, it's a little bit uh, like Wild West, as with any new technologies oh, yeah. and any new booming technology that, that has such a huge potential. Uh, you've got this Cambrian explosion of different options, um, and some of them are bad, but a lot of them are good uh, and overlapping. Like you, you might have this product or company that does this a little bit better, and that company that that is slightly similar but slightly different and does that a little bit better. So I, I agree with you that there is um, there is too much information. Um, I think there the old and proven process works where um, you try to benchmark against your peers um, sort of either in the same market or different markets yeah. and talk to companies who were kind of at the frontier of this uh, finding so, so talk to fellow CMOs, talk to fellow VP of sales and kind of what the tech works for them, what doesn't. Um, again, it's, it's, it's common sense, but it works. Um, Another way that we use internally is we're very big on as as you can imagine for the company that <laughs> that is fairly data driven we're big on tests and experimentation um so we would do um little sort of a um box test where we would try to apply technology and and try to validate the claims um, and try to compare it with the baseline see how much improvement we get and compare it with costs and and sort of do boil it down to very simple financial analysis and if it's sort of net zero and if there's no upside we usually wouldn't do it because there uh, there there's complexity in, in adding more and more systems so usually you want something to be either obviously profitable or aligned with your long-term roadmap so maybe it's not profitable today but you believe that this will um, allow you to build better company or better product um, and then um, I do think um, for, for companies that are at scale and or that, that has this forward-looking roadmap, they do need to start building internal competences. So that's why mm. it wouldn't hurt yeah, yeah. to pick one or two projects. And even if those projects by themselves are not um, super profitable, at least you kind of dip your toes and start getting information from within the company, not just from media outlet and that also when you get when you get that going that gives you a good comparative basis where uh, sort of your quote-unquote data guy could talk to somebody else's data guy and they could compare the playbook and kind of share opinions and, and learn from each other and optimize so yeah yeah it's b building uh, obviously those those skills are not uh they're not going to be in any less demand i guess um and so you might as might as well build it now. Uh, is there anywhere where you found so uh, aggregating best practices is obviously important? Talking to other companies in your space, a lot of that's just going to be hard work or networking, uh, googling. Is there is there anywhere is there anywhere where that information is being kind of pulled pulled or pooled together? Uh, you know, at present, where where kind of best practices or that kind of direct networking is accessible, or is it more just kind of do the events, talk to your VCs, see who, see who they might know. In terms of uh, 
business applications, I think it's it's the latter. In terms of uh, actual science um, innovation, I think that, that believe it or not, it's actually easier. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, so, so um, and that that's not for everybody, but I uh, love reading papers. Um, there, there's also a lot of uh, top-notch videos, if, be it summer schools or online courses on Coursera and Udacity. So if you're looking for, for science behind the, the innovations, it's actually... Uh, out there and accessible when it comes to business applications where this is where it becomes a little bit more of a know-how um, yep. and, and more of a networking uh, with your peers big time well ho hopefully that ends up being uh, useful advice for the folks who are tuned in uh, who are solving the same kinds of problems that you're also solving so Andrew I appreciate you sharing your, your advice that's literally it for what we had for time again I, I, uh, I more than appreciate you uh, sharing a little bit of not only what you're doing with your company, uh, but how other people can adapt to more thoroughly apply AI for themselves. So, Andrew, thank you so much. Thanks, Ben. Well, that wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers, and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.